Welcome to the Consilience Podcast. My name is Shannon Beer. I am a health and confidence coach who chats to experts to help us improve our well-being so that we can get more out of life. This episode is slightly different because I am joined by two guests, James and Mac. I got them on the show to talk about body image in men, including their lived experiences, why it's so hard to talk about, and male ideals of masculinity and how they can be problematic. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, maybe we can start off by asking the question is, you know, why is this such a taboo topic, or at least it feels that way in males? Do you want to start with that, Shannon? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because even with the body of research looking into the body image, males have been historically underrepresented because there was this notion that, you know, like eating disorders, they only really affect women. So let's just study the women because we want impactful research findings. You know, we need to get funding. And then over time, it's become clear that disordered eating rates in men are rising. And that, of course, men are not immune to body image concerns either. However, the difference is the way in which these concerns may manifest and the drivers behind them. So in general, men tend to be more satisfied with their body composition. And in women, body dissatisfaction can be a big driver towards changing appearance and potentially going to some extreme lengths and associating a lot of self-worth with how one looks. With men, however, it seems to have a lot more to do with buying into ideas of masculinity. What does it mean to be a real man, you know, which is about strength and not being allowed to show emotions. And actually these behaviors in terms of muscle building behaviors, so modifying protein intake, strength training, you know, being pretty rigid in those routines can actually be a form of emotional regulation. So if you feel like your masculinity is threatened, you may be driven to prove people wrong by getting big and buff the way that men should be, right? So this is really interesting because it's a similar phenomenon, but totally different reasons behind that. So I want to put it on to to you guys. What do you think it means to be a real man? To be a real man, I think it involves eating entirely carnivore (laughs) because apparently red meat makes you Mm -hmm. Um, organ meat like lifting functional things and eating organs and no fuck eating plants that's for pussies (laughs) (laughs) now in all seriousness for me yeah you know i feel like males have this and this is entirely observational and anecdotal you know, I feel like males are also, females are under pressure, obviously, to live up to a certain image or do certain things or whatever, but so are males. You know, we want to be, the you know, ideal male is this jacked alpha guy, you know, life of the party, you know, doing all these things, business, get shit done type person. That's what you think. That's what you think when you think like the alpha male, okay? And there's a lot of pressure to uphold that. And I think one part of that is not showing weakness. Yeah. And one thing that can be deemed as weakness is saying that I'm struggling with my relationship with food or I am struggling 
with my body image. And I think a lot of males don't want to talk about their struggles. They want to bottle them up and, you know, kind of overcome them just somehow rather than seeking that help. Whereas I personally feel, and again, this is just observational, no research has gone into my thoughts here. Um, but I feel like females are more likely to, you know, be more expressive, if that's even the right word, about the struggles that they're facing. So that's mm. my original thoughts on that. I definitely yeah. agree. I think one um, thing that you sort of like mentioned you know, is yeah, like I the ideal so. male. It's like they run a business, they, they're jacked, they're aggressive, life of the party. And then it's like, I think a kind of phenomenon that we're seeing at the moment is people like Andrew Tate, for example. It's like you see someone like him who's exploded in popularity. And I think a lot of men, they they look at someone like that and they they get bored in very, very quickly. Um, and I totally agree. And I think the I think in some ways it's getting it it gets it's getting reinforced. But I also think in some ways, in some situations, I think it's improving. Like for example, in my practice, I see men of all ages, and I see I notice that generally younger men are more likely, and this is again totally anecdotal. I see younger men, like say my patients who are around 20 to 30, are more likely to say to me. Yeah, I, I, I've been struggling to lose body weight. I really, I just can't do it. They're much more willing to be vulnerable. But I find the men around the ages of, say, I would say 50 to 65, who often might be more commonly, I would, and this is 100% anecdotal, more commonly in, in sort of a workaholic position um, where they're working 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, and they, yeah, they're, they're much less like I find these kind of men are much less likely to say anything around where they've been struggling or where they think they could improve as well, which I think is quite interesting because I, I don't know what you guys think about that. But do you think that the inherent like not wanting to admit weakness or not wanting wanting to seem like a beta male or however you want to phrase it, do you think that then stops people from being able to make progress towards actually improving these things. And maybe that's getting too far, too far into it now, but I, I guess I'd love to hear you guys thoughts on, on that as well as like the rise of these super alpha male figures. Yeah. I think that I agree with you in that younger age groups, sort of around my age bracket, our age bracket are much more likely to admit struggles. Whereas I've also noticed in that sort of older age bracket, they'll just get, they'll just keep going, getting the job done. But with that being said, I think males these days have more pressure to uphold more of that alpha thing. And I think that's a key difference. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it wasn't so much built upon, well, this again, opinion, anecdotal observation, whatever you want to call it. But I just feel like back in the day, you know, it wasn't like as much about being jacked and being like a really ex successful entrepreneur and, you know, being this life of party. I could be wrong here, but that's, that's sort of what I feel, obviously, with social media and all the amazing rigs and what have you. Yeah, I feel like guys have a lot of pressure to be like those people that they see in the YouTube video, that they see on the Instagram. And, and that kind of sparks that desire to pursue that by modifying dietary behaviours and uh, training and seeking out these masculine type behaviours and that sort of outcome. So, yeah, I'd agree. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, like, where do you think the pressure comes from? So you've mentioned social media a few times or different various media channels, you know, as being a source of pressure because what you're exposed to are images or videos, whatever, of these 
men who are super successful and strong and they look the part and you know they're jacked and everything else in their life seems to have fallen into place and they can provide for other people like that tends to be the stereotypical male ideal but I think at the core what it comes down to and what you both touched upon is that inability to show weakness you know so in your experience or I guess just hypothesizing as well why is that so hard to do? What response would you receive if you admitted that you were struggling in the position of someone who is scared to admit that? What do you think mm. they're experiencing? I, I don't think you would receive like a bad response from the people you sought help from. Rather, I think that you would yourself feel weak. Like, so people, you said to someone, you know, if I said to James right here, I said, hey, James, mate, you know, I'm really struggling with my body image and I've just had these binge eating sort of tendencies of late and, and I'm not really sure I'm feeling really down about things. 100% James and, and really anyone in any age bracket, even my parents' age bracket, I feel would actually be quite empathetic and, and they would definitely try and help me and they would, you know, at least come across in a judgmental, like a pussy sort of way, although my dad might, but he's just, we won't talk about that. Um, anyhow, so, but I, I feel like myself, I would be like, well, I'm not, it, the person who would judge the most would be me judging myself. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you're mm-hmm. touching upon then is internalized shame. So shame is a self-conscious emotion and it comes down to the way that you view yourself. So, okay, maybe I wouldn't receive judgment from other people, but I would feel lesser than I've done something wrong. There's something wrong with me for struggling. And when you feel ashamed of yourself, because it's a self-conscious emotion, it's also associated with withdrawal. So if I feel ashamed of something that I've done or who I feel like I am, I'm less likely to reach out for help in the first place. And I, I don't want to show anyone that part of me because I think there's something wrong with that. So it is very difficult then to overcome that. And what we're seeing with the research on males is that they usually present to treatment late on in the trajectory, meaning that by the time they finally receive help, they've been struggling for quite some time. And in order for a higher chance of overcoming this, like early intervention really is key, but men don't want to reach out for help. And that's compounded by the fact that we, like as a society, overlook men, you know, or expect them not to struggle. So now like the research is like, hey, hang on a minute, like guys aren't immune either. Disordered eating rates are rising and they are comparable in terms of the psychosocial impairment. It's just as harmful to a male as it is to a female. These people deserve help too. And what's potentially even worse is that they may struggle more to get that help because nobody wants to admit, oh, you know, I'm fighting against this ideal here where I'm not allowed to struggle. I've been told that I'm not allowed to struggle. You know, you turned around and said, okay, James wouldn't judge me. But a lot of people feel like if I told someone that, they would laugh in my face. I Nothing would change. Actually, I would feel worse. I feel like this is why some of those very intense male figures are kind of becoming quite dominant. Because it's like people would much rather have a typical alpha male you know the, the, as you described like it's the whole package business 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 the body all of it um and it's like they, they they would much rather look at that and then that person tells them what to do and i i 
I, I'm still not sure what it is, but it's like when I see these people and how they talk to men, it's very, there's no compassion. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what it is that draws men towards it, but it seems like they rise incredibly rapidly. Yeah. I wonder if you guys yeah. have any thoughts on that. Well, I definitely agree even just personally that males are more likely to seek that help after they've been through and sort of started to kind of come, you know, they're not going to be vocal about their struggles until they've sort of been through it. At least mm -hmm. with me, I didn't really talk about my struggles with body image and, and disordered eating until after I was like kind of exiting that phase in my life, if you will, and mm -hmm. felt like I started to see positive progression. I didn't talk about it because I was ashamed. And, and also just to dig into that point there about, you know, is the person you're reaching out to help from or for judging going to judge you? Another thing is like, okay, surface level, you know, I don't think like if I said to you, James, hey man, like I said before, I'm really struggling. You won't judge me, but I think you would view me differently. You would perceive mm -hmm. me differently. And I would at least compound that or like amplify that thought. Mm -hmm. Where oh now James thinks I'm a pussy and mm. you know imagine if I said I'm struggling you know to uh, say a, a female at the time like who um, maybe I was interested in at the time like they're gonna think that you're you, you're gonna think that oh this this girl who I'm interested in or whatever mm. is gonna think I'm a complete pussy you know yeah yeah uh, it's not helping your self confidence it's it's almost better to just kind of like bottle it up and just be like you know mm. these alpha dudes who seem to be getting have their shit together what would they do i reckon they would mm. just screw it and just, i'm just gonna be you know be a tough guy and just mm. not let it phase me and yeah so i think there's a bit of that going on so yeah my thoughts yeah yeah that kind of idea of of being a rock as a man it's I like see. i think a lot of the dialogue is centered around attracting women yeah the, i think the way they the way they phrase it is is often it's very like you know if, if you're not a man or if you don't if you display emotion if you show vulnerability if you show that you're weak or inferior it's like cool you're now you're now down the hierarchy of men and only the top one percent of men are allowed to get women it's like that's the way that i think a lot of these people kind of try and sell it to men and I, I don't even know if it's just those really famous people that talk about it but i don't know even maybe, maybe it's just male culture in some sense because there is discussions about men improving their not improving their body image but improving their mental health and i think some of them are those those discussions are improving like for instance in new zealand there's a massive push for it um, and i've seen the impact of that i think in my practice i have seen some people where you you notice them mentioned that journey but as you said Mackenzie it's like most I haven't seen if I can tell that I'm in a, in a session with a man and because so like for listeners it's like I have I see people of all demographics and it's usually my first session with them and so I might catch someone in the middle of their most depressed state ever and if I can tell that they're kind of depressed or tell that something mentally is not quite right usually I notice with men they won't say it like that kind of anecdote kind of runs true to my experience to my to my anecdote to layer those on top um but yeah I, I find they won't say it during but after and same experience with me like i didn't say i would not have said a thing until i was fully out of it like i would work out with i had i had two casts i had a cast on both wrists and like wrist injuries on both wrists but i worked through that because you know like you don't want to get small like that would be the worst consequence ever <laughs> and like but it, it's funny laughing about it now but like at the time it was heavy yeah Something you said there was really interesting about how 
we view showing emotions as a weakness. Why is it a weakness to show your emotions? We know that every human being on earth experiences emotions that range from pleasant to unpleasant. And yet there's this narrative that it's weak to show that you're experiencing a normal human experience, right? And it doesn't make you a weak person to experience an unpleasant emotion. And even more so to talk about it or to reach out for help when you're experiencing that. Because all an emotion is, is a physiological response in your body and a meaning that we associate with that, right? And that's something that we all tend to experience. The strength is in experiencing that emotion, reaching out for help. You know, it takes courage to say, Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time right now. And it takes wisdom to know, I don't have the skills to deal with this emotion. I need support. That is a strong thing to do, to reach Mm -hmm. out for support when you are struggling. And experiencing the emotion doesn't make you weak. The strength is in learning how to regulate that emotion, because that's a hard thing to do. And why is being weak so terrible? We all have weaknesses, right? Does having one weakness make you a weak person? Or does it make you a normal human being? Mm. I think one reason why it's hard for males to reach out for help is because the ideal male wouldn't need help. The ideal male wouldn't still wouldn't show weakness. And, it, you know, it's it's mm. also it's good that everyone's talking about, you know, male mental health and people are talking about suicide in males and what have you. But um, and that's that's really positive, obviously. But. I feel like a lot of these messages, like the promotion of this stuff is coming from these ideal males. And mm. yeah, I feel like there's this kind of, even though it's like, oh, it's not weak to speak out and ask for help and everything. It's just like, but the people who are saying this are <laughs> feel like the ones who they are, are, are like not needing help or they, you know, they'll say, oh, I went through this really hard phase and everything. You know, I'm not, I'm not kind of, denying that that actually happened or saying that they're lying or anything but yeah i just feel like it it doesn't it's just hard to absorb it as a male and the people who are saying it you just can't relate to them because you look at them and you're like what if what body image issues or things like that have you ever experienced like look at you you're i don't know some pro rugby player or something it's just it's just there's that it's not like you get the people who are talking about it aren't relatable so I feel like there's that issue there. That's also a barrier to guys still in this day and age, you know, mm. talking about it. And Yeah, you should be able to handle things mm. on your own. And mm. how realistic yeah. is that really? That mm. you should have, like, nothing that you've done up until this point has been on your own, right? Because you've had <laughs> parents that have nurtured you. You've had friends and teachers around you. The clothes that you're wearing right now, you didn't stitch together by hand. So we are always being supported by others. We wouldn't Mm. get very far if we only relied on ourselves. And I think that there is this excessive, like this narrative of excessive self-reliance, you know, and independence over interdependence, which is actually probably a more realistic way of looking at 
human functioning and success and progression is that you don't get very far on your own. So if you would ask someone to help you to make your clothes, you know, which is kind of like what you're doing indirectly by purchasing things that other people have created, what's the difference when it comes to seeking help for, for other things? It's us as a society who have created this stigma around mm. talking about our feelings because maybe they're a bit wishy-washy and we've created this ideal male who doesn't struggle and doesn't even feel anything for a start you know, and can handle everything by himself but this is like a fallacy who mm. who's ever not struggled at one point with one thing you know and if that really was the case somebody's never struggled with something well well, another way of looking at it may be that they've been fortunate. They've been pretty lucky to, to not have to experience hard things, you know, or to not to always have the resources, which is a bit of a lottery to begin with. So why is that a strength? Yeah, but you still, even if you've, you've been given the resources, you'll still struggle, you know, because yeah. the heart of being a male is making something of yourself as well. So mm. I feel like that's also a thing that, yeah, it's like I, I feel pressure to earn more than my dad did. And it's like there's that expectation. If I don't do that, then failure. And it's 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 interesting because like if I went and did a job that didn't earn much money, I feel as though and it's interesting because this is um still it's still difficult for me to say, but it's like, yeah, I feel like there's still that pressure from people around me. But it's like I, I couldn't even pinpoint who. That's the thing. It just feels like there's this pressure. People will, someone will judge. And it's like, mm. but now I feel as though that is accelerating. Like there's, I feel like, like I'm 24 and I feel as though I should be earning 100K a year. And it's like, and that that feels like, it's not just the body image. Like the, because for me, I, I feel like I've gotten through the body image stuff, but then the the money stuff, that's still there for me in terms of like, I should be earning more. No, you're right. We just go off on a slight tangent here because something just like popped into my mind, which I have to talk about. It's fucking annoying me. Um, can we just talk about like how? So obviously, there's this ideal man thing that we've spoken yeah. about here. Okay, and this ideal man earns money and do all these these cool things like they're a boss. You know, you're a boss, bro. <laughs> um, and there's also those female ideals. But I've actually started to observe that I feel like being a boss business bitch or whatever people like boss to call babe, yeah. boss babe mm. bitch is becoming a thing. And all of a sudden, it's like there's the same pressure going to females to earn all these mo this money. And mm. there are people on social media who just are going on about how much they earn and being <laughs> boss babe today. And like, look at me, like I'm just doing all these boss babe things. And it's just like, hang on now. It's like this pressure that was considered a man thing mm. is now going to the female mm. realm. It's like, I'd be really keen. I mean, we don't have to go into this because I just had to bring this up. But I would really be keen to hear Shannon absolutely go for it on this. <laughs> well, the thing is, there is always going to be pressure around the things that are tapping into our core sort of insecurities right which is like status 
you know, we all want to be seen as successful. We all want to fit in. We all want to be attractive. So it's not really surprising that we're experiencing pressure to be these big earners and we're experiencing pressure to look perfect because that is the current narrative of what constitutes success, which then means social status. And we all want to survive and we all want to belong. The thing is, these narratives only affect you if you buy into them which can be very easy to do. You know, a lot of it's happening subconsciously. We're not even really aware of what we're looking at half time. It's just like going into our subconscious. And then we adopt these ideals because we learn that that's the right thing to do. And it takes critical reflection, I think, on your behaviors and the way that they're affecting you and your well-being and your life to then think, hang on a minute, where is this pressure coming from? Why do I believe the things that I do? And why am I behaving in this way? Yes, there is pressure to earn money. And there's nothing wrong inherently with wanting to chase money. One of my goals is to earn fuck you money, but it's not a goal that is, it's not like an end point. It's more like, because that would mean opportunities and resources. And if it was handed to you on a plate, you wouldn't say no. But clearly like a lot of us would never turn down more money you know but it's how do you feel about yourself in the pursuit of that goal if you don't hit your financial goals do you feel like a total failure or are you able to see that failure that one failure doesn't make you as a person a failure and actually yes i did fail okay that failure is feedback why do i need to then make that more catastrophic than what it really is you know, what did I do that didn't work out so well? What changes might I make? That's probably really the key to successful entrepreneurship is being able to have that mindset where you're like, oh, fuck, that didn't work out well. Like, and then you're able to rectify it and move on and continue to progress. It's not supposed to be a smooth journey, but there are certainly pressures coming left, right and center. If you expose yourself to them, there's some degree mm. of choice in what you you know social media you're looking at how much time you spend on there and not to say that it's easy again it's very compelling but we do have autonomy over the values that we adopt if we're able to critically reflect on what we truly want and I think that's been one of the major benefits from traveling to be honest is that I haven't been exposed to one narrow culture for too long because I've been exposed to a bunch of different cultures. Do you think they value wealth and Ferraris and Rolexes or whatever the thing is now, like here in Indo? No, you know, so that's a, a strength or a, a fortunate outcome for us in that we're not sucked in. If I had still lived in London and had grown up in London and been living there doing what my friends are doing, like the whole rat race type thing, maybe I would think quite differently. But I feel that, being exposed to different cultures has really helped me think, well, what do I want them? Because they think this is great. They think this is great. It's all bullshit, really, at the end of the day, because we're all just making up meanings. So what do I want to buy into and why? And critically, how do I relate to myself when I don't have those things? And that touches upon actually something that you asked earlier was about, do you think that, you know, people struggling with their body image or these like ideas of not matching up to the masculine ideal, does that get in the way of them achieving their health goals? Yes, but also on the surface, we may see someone to be quote unquote, ticking all of the boxes. They do have the ripped physique. They are buff. 
are they healthy? Are they confident and secure within themselves? Not necessarily, you know, because that, that's the most challenging thing about these like muscularity oriented behaviors. Well, not the behaviors themselves, but this, I don't match up to the masculine ideal. This masculine ideal is very important to me. Without it, I would be nothing. That kind of mentality is a very strong motivator. It doesn't mean it's a healthy one, but it may be very powerful in keeping someone consistent but that consistency is often rigidity and that's mm. where it can become distressing because we're not saying lifting's bad we're not saying being concerned about your protein intake is bad what we're saying is that a rigid rule driven approach to achieving these things and doing so from a place of insecurity that's when it can become detrimental and we're not talking just physically, but also psychologically as well. Mm. What, mm. what is what is success? So like the thing is, you touched on some points there, Shannon, like, well, what constitutes success? And I think this is a big one because, you know, when as a male, when you get sucked into the, I want to pursue this alpha persona that, you know, I think you think, oh, it's going to make my life really easy. Everything's just going to come easy to me and it's just going to solve all my problems. But then you start to pursue that and you might even get there to a degree, to be honest. And mm -hmm. it's just met with this like emptiness and you <laughs> think to yourself, is this really what success is? And, you know, for me, getting sucked into the whole like going to the gym and and um, eating a certain way, like not to, again, not to say that those things are bad and I still do that stuff, but it's for different reasons. But doing that at the time and taking it to that degree basically meant that, you know, whilst on the surface, like you said, I probably would have ticked all the boxes per se, um, or at least some of them, I was fucking unhappy AF. Mm. And like, if you put that, if you lob that into the health equation, my health is fucked. Like, <laughs> you know, I basically, I was living a life that was completely misaligned with what I wanted to do with myself. That was completely misaligned with what I found enjoyable, rewarding, you know, who I really am as a person. I was living, I was living someone else's dream, mm. not mine. And yeah. um, the consequences of that were so freaking severe on my just like depression, for example, was just one of the huge consequences of that. And it just took so many big moments for me to just come to this realization that actually this is not success. This is not something to strive for. This is something that is, it's pseudo success. You know, it's, it, it's, it'll just fuck you up basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like, that, but seriously, like it's just to me, I look back on that. I'm just like, fuck, really got sucked into yeah it's hard to comprehend it like honestly i feel as though looking back now being in that position because it's like you post the physique pic everyone's like oh you look like x person in x years you'll look like this bodybuilder and it's like like i had a comment like that once and it really like i was like wow that's so cool that's a professional bodybuilder he's comparing me to and it was like every time you posted a physique pic or you got some positive reinforcement it's like wow, I'm I'm valued like for like a, a split second, and then, and then it's like, then you re like I, because it's it's so hard to realize at the time, because there was there's there was no one, 
there was a few people like later on in the journey, but it's like, that was like probably three plus years for me where it was just like this obsession where it was like, I would skip school, go to the gym. Like just the lengths that I would go to, to achieve muscle hypertrophy was just like, it, it was, it was literally like, I would rationalize my behaviors by, no, 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 that's not optimal for hypertrophy. Like that was something that came out of my mouth on like a regular basis. Yeah. And like, how much did your life suffer for it? Like for me, I think it's so many examples of things like I turns down all expenses paid for, like holidays to Hawaii, for example. <laughs> like all these social experiences that I missed out on, all these like opportunities and experiences that I missed, that I said no to because I was like, oh, how am I going to track my macros? Like, and it's just <laughs> like that's not fucking success. That's <laughs> not life. Um, it, it, like I said, it's it's pseudo success. Yeah. Like for me, it was like, um, I, I had chronic back pain because I was training too much and I have a spine condition. So I would, I, I would literally just be like, I would rationalize myself. I would go to sleep every night and I would have back pain and I would just be like, no, 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 it's not because of lifting. I need to lift more intelligently. Like that was my rationalization it was like, oh, I need to learn more about programming so I can do it in a safer way rather than like, bro, you're literally training too much <laughs> like it, it, I, I don't know why but there there seems to be when you're in it there's so much cognitive dissonance there and i maybe i'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion shannon do you think because it's like i feel like this is two sides of the same coin like the muscularity orientated behaviors can like they're predominantly in men but obviously can, can happen for both genders same thing with fat loss like obviously that can happen happens maybe more in women um but then obviously it can happen for men as well do you see the same thing on on kind of the other side of the coin? Yeah. So what you've touched on in terms of the consequences, so missing out on things, saying no to opportunities, exercising, even though you're in pain, having anxiety over not being able to track or missing a workout. Those are the signs of rigidity that we touched on. And you mentioned there that women aren't immune either. And actually, yes, appearance ideals are shifting. So previously, women would have been buying into the fashion model slim kind of look with Kate Moss, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, right? And then since then, we've seen the rise in fitness advertising and the objectification of female athletes. So now it's also becoming more and more common for women to strive for the muscular and lean ideal. And the pursuit of muscularity and the pursuit of leanness, i.e. reduction in body fat, are two separate drives but often go hand in hand when we're looking to get big and lean, which then becomes pretty complex. But the consequences are similar. Yes, missing out on things, feeling that anxiety, feeling that shame or depression because the quality of your life has suffered. And what is so problematic is, as you say, well, actually, a lot of these behaviors are reinforcing. Because if I'm telling myself, right, I will be happy, successful, I will be accepted by others when I look this part. Every time I go to the gym and lift weights, every time I track and I hit my macros for the day, I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. And then when someone compliments me on my weight loss or my bigger delts or bigger glutes, great, I'm doing the right thing, right? This is what it's all about. And then as you say, you don't really notice other parts of your life eroding 
or you're wondering why am I not really feeling quite fulfilled like there's there's something feels empty about all of this and like you say it's that pseudo success because we're chasing the wrong thing and it's coming from an insecure place the issue when you talk about these things is that people will hear this and they do jump to oh so you're telling me that exercise is bad or you're telling me that macros are bad and it's like no that's not necessarily what we're saying it's the rigid attachment to those things and thinking that that outcome that you're chasing is going to be the answer for this insecurity that probably needs to be done with first because until you feel secure within yourself you will be chasing external validation and you will be getting a lot of your reinforcement from others which is a very unstable foundation for something as important as your own self-worth yes and you i wanted to then go into the idea of you know because yeah like it would come across that we're saying that tracking macros and everything is bad but that's not what we're doing um tracking macros exercise is bad wanting to gain muscle necessarily is bad we're not saying that um and this is you know what i wanted to ask you next like when does this become negative or when does it flip over and become a problematic thing and it sounds like from your answer you're saying that it is when you approach it from a rigid perspective, like rigid rules, I must go to the gym this amount of time, I must track, you know, to this way or this accuracy or whatever. Uh, but then the other part of that is also thinking that if you achieve that goal and do those behaviours, you will be, quote, unquote, successful or, quote, unquote, happy, be happy. And those are the two issues, the rigidity and the false shallow expectations which for me, what I'm hearing from you here, Shannon, you're saying that when those things are present, what is a health-seeking positive thing or things, plural, flips over and becomes harmful. Am I getting things right there? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. It's when you're experiencing that distress or that anxiety around not being able to perform those behaviors. So like you say, I'm not going to go to the all-inclusive because I can't weigh that. I can't track that. So the answer is no. You know, and we can try to convince ourselves that we're okay with that and it's worth it to say no. But like you say, on some level, you're also unhappy because you're then conflicted. You want this very important goal that you're chasing, but yeah, you also want the fun experiences. So how do we reconcile that? And this is probably why it becomes so difficult to even be aware when you're struggling, because this thing that's causing a lot of problems in terms of the pursuit is also, it feels like it's the right thing. It feels like you're getting something out of it. You know, like when you have a good workout and because there are some benefits to be gained from regular exercise, there are benefits to be gained from a well-balanced diet. It's like, well, how do I take the good stuff and then not deal with the, the potential consequences? And it really is, yeah, coming back to why am I putting all my eggs in one basket? You know, when that's such a high cost to lose, it's very difficult to pull yourself out of that. So really working on where your self-worth comes from is really important. And then it's going to be far more likely that you can engage in exercise, that you can, yeah, fuel yourself appropriately and still have fun, you know, and it's not to be this huge thing that takes up all of your headspace and you have the energy to focus on other things as well because your body does have these inbuilt me mechanisms to, you know, take care of itself. And when we 
try not to interfere with that too much in terms of micromanaging things. It's like you probably, if you're fairly active and you're fueling yourself well, you're going to be fairly physically healthy, you know? And we take it to those extremes because we've learned that that's what you've got to do to be successful and to stand out in the world. The thing is, when we're talking about success, you're probably at your most successful when you're not questioning whether you're successful. Same thing with happiness. You're not like, what's the meaning of life? When you're having a great time, it's usually when you're feeling pretty shitty. The same thing goes with self-worth. You're not chasing external validation when you accept yourself because you don't need it. That's the paradox of self-esteem. Those with healthy self-esteem don't chase self-esteem because they don't need it. That's not to say that you can't pursue your goals, but goals are something that should enhance your well-being and chasing accomplishments, status, and success for the sole reason of improving how you feel about yourself, that's when it becomes potentially harmful. So what would you say to someone who then, whether it was a guy or a girl, who said, well, um, I'm not happy with myself because I don't look this way or I have this or I'm at this weight or I don't earn this amount of money? Like what would your thing and then and then they came back to you and or then they added to that if i achieve this i will be happy like what would be your just like response to that sort of type question or rebuttal if you will i wouldn't necessarily rebut it because firstly that is the vast majority of people right okay well it's very common for people to think that way and it's very rare for someone to show up and be like i've got body image problems no one knows what that is I don't think it's a problem, you know, because like we said, it does have some quote unquote, like seemingly helpful function for them. But what I would ask is, okay, well, what do you think would be different about your life when you look that way, when you have this much money, what would you be doing then that you're not doing now? Mm, Yeah. And I think this comes down to really think like understanding, you know, is making all these sacrifices, and being that hardcore person who stops at nothing to get the meals in and get the gym sessions in and, you know, no matter what, no excuses. Discipline is freedom. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what is the cost of that? And, like, what is the cost? What are the rewards? Because, you know, often we think the rewards are going to be these huge, you know, my life is going to be great. I'm going to be able to do all these great things because I'm going to be this confident person. All these opportunities are going to come to me. That's what we think. But when we actually ask ourselves these questions, we realize that it's not really going to make much of a difference if I'm like, you know, five kilos more muscle mass or not. Um, but then we also have to think about the trade-offs. Well, if I take it to that degree, I'm all of a sudden going to be living a life of a person who is not me. It's just someone who I've sort of molded myself into, not out of kind of personal values. Um, and also there's going to be, all this sacrifice with social behaviours and what have you. And when you start to look at it from that perspective, you realise the pros and the cons or the, as Shannon would like to say, effort cost versus the rewards, it starts to look really unfavourable in the pursuit of, you know, it really makes you question like whether achieving what you think is going to equal happiness and success will actually bring that to you in your life. And I think with the musk, with like with muscle in particular, it's something that just it it hits that point where you can't, you literally cannot get anymore. 
where it's like you really got to pay a cost. Like the cost just increases astronomically. Like you live for five years, try to gain, try to gain the same amount. Like that's going to take you another 25, maybe 30. And it's like, then there's a few other options, but you know, that just kind of takes you down a much um, darker path psychologically, meaning steroids. Like, you know, it's like, that's obviously, I, I think they're rising and I, I think the evidence shows they're rising quite rapidly in use. Um, and it's like, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's quite interesting how quickly they're becoming um, normalized, I feel. Like even just through like Instagram reels and TikToks, like I think people are making more and more jokes about things like ha ha, joking about taking trend with my friends. Like I see that I see that kind of reel like every time I go on Instagram reels, and I think that's quite interesting because I don't know if you guys have noticed it with your coaching, but I have had quite a few clients come to me and say, "Man, would be nice to take some steroids," and I think that's because I had a business orientated around muscle hypertrophy steroid usage and excessive supplementation are also muscularity oriented behaviors that are common in populations who may struggle with muscle dysmorphia so it really isn't surprising that that is you know a common practice because again well if this seems to be a shortcut in a sense to or a fast track to achieving this muscular ideal and being this alpha male why wouldn't you in, in you know if you've really bought into that and i think part of the problem is that losses tend to loom far greater than gains so that fear of rejection that fear of not being good enough that fear of being a failure is probably going to push you to do some pretty extreme things and having balance and being happy it's like well that sounds all right but no i just don't want to be a failed man you know and that really is at the core. no man who has balance is like is that ideal yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. Like Doesn't meet that crazy shit. And yeah. if I want to do crazy shit, then I better do crazy shit. And <laughs> you know, like, and when you start talking about the cons of being interested in muscular muscularity type behaviors, and you bring in the whole you know anabolics or performance enhancing drugs type thing, steroids, whatever, um, that's when the, the the cons really start to skyrocket you know for a lot of people and then when you bring in the fear thing like even people who go down that route it's like well if i stop doing this then what's going to happen to me and all of a sudden they're locked in and they're continuing it even if they maybe think that it's funny because i've seen i've actually seen like influencers come out now and say oh i quit you know taking the gear and stuff but it's like they weren't talking about it during it like it's only like you said before they're going to talk about it after they've sort of recovered or whatever. But I feel like also for like one of the big cons of doing something like that for a lot of guys is probably that like once they're locked in, you know, it's kind of like you're locked in for life, I guess, or at least they probably think that way. Or I don't know how, how much truth there is behind that or whatnot, but yeah, there are some lifelong consequences that can come with that. And um, yeah. Well, this is also why it's no. a very difficult cycle to break because you end up, creating a rod for your own back because each time you know you're showing your mega ripped body on instagram and you're getting that validation you're confirming to yourself i am only a worthy successful man whilst i'm maintaining this physique therefore it becomes even more costly to then lose that which is where the rigidity comes in because you will avoid 
anything that would be a detriment to maintaining that physique at all costs because you have received some reinforcement from that. So for both of you, because you've both mentioned that you have previously struggled in the past and you feel like you have made some improvements, what was the turning point for you? Sure. How did you even know you were struggling? I think I, for me, I actually got to a point where the cons were so bloody obvious. Like I just, I couldn't ignore them anymore, to be honest, because it's like I, I was having so much back pain that I was just like, and it's like, I, it's just my, my relationship with food. I think people ignore the, um, not, I don't think people ignore, but I think people don't realize that like, you know, obviously we know that disordered eating on the way down or like trying to lose fat, like that's, that's very, very common. But I think there is a disordered eating on the way up where it's like, if you're force feeding yourself to bulk 24 seven, that's going to event, you get, you're going to hate food. I, I, I hated food. Like I, I could not, there was no meal that I looked forward to. And it's like, that had gone on for at least two years. And I felt like I had failed the day. Yeah, can I just pause you there? Because you touched on something that's really important. And this is why historically it's been assumed that men don't suffer from eating disorders because the way that we have been assessing for eating disorders was geared towards losing body fat. So that didn't capture eating more. Obviously, there couldn't possibly be anything disordered about eating more. (laughs) Because the theory behind that was false, you know, it's mm. not just about trying to get smaller. Actually, the male ideal is different to the female ideal. Therefore, we need to be assessing disordered eating behaviors differently now, mm. which includes preoccupation mm. with protein intake. It could mm. uh, include meal prepping as well, which mm. automatically we kind of endorse that within the fitness industry. Like, oh, this person's so dedicated, they're so like well done it's like taking Mm. their container to the restaurant like look at them like just really you know going for their goals that's what i should be doing it's like Mm. oh actually when does consistent become rigid and disordered you know and why are we rewarding that so Mm. what you touched on there about the the eating behaviors totally and this is probably why it's like oh male eating disorders are increasing it's like they, they might be, but also we've just missed them for so long, you know? Yeah. I think another one is the, um like, there's the, there's the, there's the protein, there's the meal prepping and planning. I think another one is like calorie intake. I feel like there's an obsession as well now about calorie dense food. It's like idolized in a lot of male circles. It's like, if you can find a meal that's a thousand calories, boy, you've got a winner. Like it's, it's crazy. It's, and it's like, I was totally there. Like I did the shit where you would, I would blend up milk and peanut butter. And like, that was my boom. Like every single night before bed, like if I didn't have that bad day. Like- yeah. <laughs> I just add to this. And like, when I was into the gym thing, I felt like if I got to the point where I was putting like all the toppings on my oats and having like cocoa pops because my <laughs> intake was so high because I'm such like an alpha lifter. I was- <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Like mm. it was almost like striving to be the guy who would like just casually eat like low fiber, sugary type cereals. With yeah, because you, you know you could because you had that much muscle, or you're striving to build. There was this hype around like, oh, I'm going to be like the guy who's doing all those those cool food things because you know I'm just my body's just like a metabolic alpha. I'm like my met- my metabolism, <laughs> my, my my metabolism is alpha. Metabolism. I, I I actually was in a position where I thought oh, the amount of calories that I burnt in a day was so astronomically outside of the normal range. I, I thought I thought it was like four thousand two hundred. In reality, I think it's more like 
max 3.2. I thought I had to be eating that, but it's in reality, I would just eat like that for a few days, get sick and tired and exhausted of it, and then eat like 2,000. And then it would average out and it makes more sense. I do remember but, yeah. time where people would gloat about how many calories they could maintain their body composition. They still do it. Yeah, like what? What I eat in a day videos. Females. Yeah. They're like, what I eat in a day, two and a half thousand calories. Like, look at me, I'm eating more calories than you. <laughs> And I'm like hot and everything, you know. I mean, it's it's even the high level bodybuilders. Like, look at Chris Bumstead. It's like, I'm pretty sure he does it as well. Where it's no no hate to call out Chris, but it's like, you know, he I think he's done things like oh, five thousand calories um, bulking. Uh, you know, it's like it's all in the YouTube titles. It's like very, the higher the number, the better. Like if you're eating eight thousand calories on your bodybuilding bulk, then you're winning. Okay, so back to the question, like with what sort of changed for me? Yeah, it was similar. Where you know the the what. The cons became so, yeah, I, I don't think it was necessarily cons, but it was just sort of like me realizing that this ain't it. You know, like I I was in this position where, you know, I, I felt like honestly, objectively, I looked pretty good um, and, and all that stuff was going well and everything. But my day-to-day life included nothing that actually, you know, I thought was good. Like I wasn't living a life that I found enjoyable. And it kind of was like a few weekends in Sydney where on Sunday, my Sundays were just full of nothingness because I was like, oh, I don't want to train. Well, what else am I going to do? Well, I can't do any of these other things. They don't align with this like physique type training, recovery, you know, like SRA curve and all what have you, all this bullshit. For me, it was being so sad about it all. Mm. that me, It was so strong, the sadness that I just couldn't not say, hey, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know that phrase like this ain't it it just i was just i just suddenly it was just so strong that there was no way that i couldn't i, I had i couldn't cover that up i couldn't try and you know continue to justify the choices and it was so strong that i just i just went out and i was like to myself this ain't it and then from that point i started to really think well what life like what do i want to do and I even started researching different activities I could do, new hobbies that I could start because I did feel like gym was, you know, either overtaking my life. And it was my thing. It was this thing that I did. And I didn't, I never wanted it to be that. So once I kind of realized that it ain't it, that's when I really started to think about, well, what is the life that I want to live? And it's interesting because training and eating well and even two degrees, worrying about how I look, that's still a big part of it. But it's not, but it's it's level within my life aligns with my values and the life I want to live. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess long story short, to answer your question, just got to the point where the sadness was so great. I just was like, I, I finally just could not not admit to myself that this was not success, this was not happiness, this was not serving me. And then that's when the, the switch started to or the tire started to change because it wasn't a, an immediate change, it was like a yeah only coming out of the rut sort of thing did it take multiple years for you or what would you say like i'd say for me it it's only been i'd say it took at least a year and a half like it was basically the pandemic because i couldn't train optimally and i I kind of realized oh shit life's just life's fine it's like it depends where you start it from like there was the phase with training and nutrition where i didn't i wasn't happy with the way i looked and I was, you know, really struggling in that, like the body image side of things. But then I fixed fixed the body image side. I was generally proud with how I look. And, you know, whilst I still wanted to be more jacked and everything, I wasn't happy about 
how I wasn't as, you know, jacked as that person or whatever. I was still like content. Like I was like, yeah, you know, you're looking good, brah, and all this sort of shit, but I wasn't happy. So if you start up from the point where I looked good, but I wasn't happy, that change was honestly only six months. Hmm. Because it basically, I started to question like how much emphasis I put into training. I started to be more lax and like carefree with my nutrition. I'd still eat really healthy, but I would, you know, start to care less about whether every meal had protein. And, and I would do all these things gradually and realize that it didn't have any effect on A, how I looked, but B, how I felt. And I was just, and then I started to slowly trickle in activities of my enjoyment. And then it was kind of like a, a balancing act where, you know, gym ramped down and the pandemic happened and I really got back into surfing, which is something I did all as a teenager. And it's like, fuck, you know, and now I feel like I found this point where everything just fits nicely and gives me this outcome that makes me happy. Yeah. Did you get any external help? No, zero. No, neither. Um, zero. I wouldn't have even thought about it. I wouldn't even know where to go, um, to be honest. This was, yeah. Where would you go? I have no idea. Mm. Like, you know, mm. the thing is, like, oh, actually, I did sometimes talk about it with people from the gym where I was working at the time. And, and they would be really helpful in the sense of, like, oh, they'd be helpful in the way they would be empathetic and nice about it. But mm. like I said at the start of the episode, I was still thinking to myself, okay, so this person who I've just kind of opened up to now thinks I'm a fucking pussy. Yes. Didn't actually provide any solutions. You know, mm. and that makes sense because none of them were qualified psychologists or anything. They were just like guys from the gym who I was friends with. And whilst they provided that that friendliness, they didn't provide with, okay, so here is sort of the plan of attack to kind of solve this 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 thing, if you will. Mm. Yeah, same. I definitely had empathy. I, I mean, I, I think I feel like I've been quite lucky to have, although even like someone like, for example, I've been very lucky to be mentored by someone like Eric Helms, for example. He's like, even someone like him, who I've been very vulnerable with him, and he's shown me nothing but empathy. I wouldn't, even during that period, I wouldn't have even told him. Because it's like, yeah, it's like he's, if anyone in the industry is going to tell you like, hey, that's fine, like you can get some help, like, but it's 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 interesting how much even there was cognitive dissonance there. Like I wouldn't have said shit. But it's mm. honestly, where the hell would you get help? Like if you mm. actually turned around and said, "These gym bros or these guys at the gym who are my friends, I need to go deeper and find someone else." I honestly don't know. I'd probably just go to my GP and say, "Do you have any ideas?" But I'd still be so skeptical as like. But I work with GPs every day. Yeah, GPs like don't understand me. They don't know what it feels like. Like they don't understand the gym. Mm, yeah like i feel like it's so in the medical practice that i work at i am the like i am no eating disorder specialist and i i think i'm pretty confident i know the most about eating disorders in the whole building like that sounds pretty cocky but it's like Bro, you're so i don't it's 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 like there's not none of the gps seem to when i talk about any kind of of these issues they don't like i work with some fan like i think there's some really fucking good gps but they don't get taught this so it's like the medical system kind of has a missing link there. Same thing with like, I can't remember what the other issue was. It's like um, it's like sleep and eating disorders. We we miss it within medicine. We just basically ignore it. But it's like every single patient I see at work has some form of, of disordered eating. And it's, yeah, I don't exactly, I, I think we could create a new profession for it, but it's like, you know, people can't go and see a psychologist because they're way too expensive. And so it's, limited as well 
if you compare like the prevalence of disordered eating and these issues that we've spoken about versus the available help, the people in need of help far outweigh those who are skilled enough to help, which is why when we're looking at the research, we're seeing a shift towards stepped care. So being able to distribute these services, what tasks or interventions can we distribute more widely that don't do not need to be delivered by a mental health professional in order to still be effective that's kind of where the research on digital health interventions is coming in oh well i can reach a lot of people through my laptop more people than i would ever be able to see coming into the clinic day to day you know and i think the other component is like what we're doing now being able to talk about it because it really is that awareness and the stigma that gets in the way of the awareness, that is a huge problem for people who don't recognize where their struggle is coming from. You know something's off, but you don't really know what's going on. So I think that being able to listen to lived experiences can be helpful and being exposed to that information. But one thing that shocked me when I was going through the research on body image is that these researchers have been calling for body image disturbances to be recognized as a public health problem. And it's like, the, these papers were written 10 plus years ago. Hmm. Why the hell have I never heard about this? Why have I had to like scour the depths of Sci-Hop just to be familiarized with what is a global public health concern and hmm. clear pressing problem that we do have some answers for we're not saying yeah. that our understanding is complete of course not but we do have a degree of evidence that has shown beneficial outcomes on certain variables so why is that not at this point more common knowledge or at least more common practice you know and i think that's really where the education of health professionals needs to come in because yeah. up until this point, we are still subject to that like Cartesian mind body dualism where it's like, I treat the physical side of things. I can help you change your body via what you put in and what you do in terms of exercise. It's like, but we are totally separating that out of the context of a person living their life. And if you view nutrition and exercise behaviors as the tip of the iceberg, underneath the surface, the things that we have failed to address up until this point would be motivation behind wanting to do these things, the way that this person views their self, so where their self-worth comes from and how stable and robust that self-worth is, their emotional regulation, and their cognitions. These things all influence the things that are observable in terms of mm. the nutrition and the exercise. But because of the complexity of being able to ma like manage these things or at least have an awareness of how these things interact, I think we have totally neglected that at a cost. It's like, well, you know, maybe the research isn't quite there yet. We don't know what the safest intervention is. But there's also a cost to not intervening. So really, what's the more helpful outcome? 
And mm -hmm. if there is emerging research suggesting that some interventions can be delivered by non-mental health professionals and still have beneficial outcomes for the participants involved, then I think that's where the direction of the field is going. I, I agree. And James, I know you've done some research on personal trainers talking about nutrition and maybe like the end, maybe one day, you know, maybe people need to start thinking a little bit outside the box there and maybe think, well, are there interventions that just general health professionals, even potentially people like personal trainers could possibly help with? And that could be being like a project manager where they're referring out to numerous allied health professionals but just offer some level of support because I think you're right, Shannon. It's just like the resources compared to the demand, it's just probably isn't up to scratch to just think like, oh, you know, there's, there's no value in anyone considering that a non say, for example, psychologist can help with mental health. Yeah. I just think, you know, that's a big barrier that, you know, practical barrier that needs to be considered, but back to the other point of like, you know, especially in males, why is, it, it just, we know it's an issue. There's been research, like I said, published 10, 15 years ago. Why does it not get talked about? I just, mean, I just think because people think at least that males don't want to hear it. Um, mm. It's not like, I don't think cool is the right word, but it's not cool at this point in 2022 for males to talk about disorder. It's cool for males to talk about depression. And, you know, people are doing, it's, it's November as well. So everyone's doing the November thing and talking about male suicide and, you know, depression, all these, and that's fantastic and everything. But there's not one, I, there's not one mention of, of um, disordered eating body image concerns, which mm. let's be honest, is going to contribute at least for a decent amount of dudes to why they might freaking be depressed. But it's mm. not going to be airtime because I feel at least that guys, Still don't want to hear it. It's still not an accepted topic among the male population. It's not a, it's still frowned upon. You still, it still comes with that, that uh, stigma of if I talk about it, these people around me are going to think of me differently in a more negative way. But how did depression become an acceptable thing to talk about? It's That's only when people started to talk about it that it then became acceptable. And I think the same thing applies here. It's only when people are able to talk about their struggles that we are able to normalize them and then realize that actually being able to talk about these things is an acceptable thing to do. So the question then is, why is it currently not acceptable to be able to talk about these things? And when, why do we have to wait until it is acceptable? Because otherwise, are we going to be waiting forever? I don't know. Yeah. That. I don't know why at this point still. And I feel like it has something to do with that, like ideal male thing that yes. is so prevalent on just like every platform, whether it be mm. that successful sport athletes, male sport athletes, or, you know, these like big self-help type boss moves you see on social media. But it's, it's so in the female thing now as well. I can see this this rise of, like like I said before, the boss female business yeah. thing going on. It's like, mm. this is it's not just going to be a male thing. Um, well, mm. this is, is that the reason that it becomes difficult to talk about these things is because we are still currently living in cultures and societies that perpetuate the harmful rhetoric that is keeping us trapped. Mm. And it takes someone who says, no, this isn't okay, to then have the courage to speak out, knowing that they may face controversy. There may be, you're a pussy type comments. You know? Yeah. 
we can't control what other people think but we can control the way that we think about ourselves. So I think it's only until like that point that people start to say, no, it isn't acceptable that men can't talk about their feelings. It is a common problem that we all want to be successful. We all want to fit in. And I am experiencing issues with trying to chase that ideal. You know, it's only until that happens that we're gonna start to see more of a shift and I think that's how these changes take place is that it starts with a small movement that then kind of snowballs. So something that you mentioned earlier is about, again, like what is sort of keeping us stuck and being able to choose your own direction because there's always gonna be a pressure to do something, right? This male ideal might even change over time. You know, probably back in the day, we weren't talking about earning hundreds of thousands or billions. It would have been a different form of masculinity, right? Having yeah. kids and a dog, <laughs> like that white picket fence thing. Yeah, right. mm. so it's mm. always going to be there. It's always going to change. Mm. So it really comes down to being able to manage those pressures and be able to make autonomous choices in spite of the environments that we are living in. But one thing... Thank you so much for listening to the Consilience podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you know someone who also would benefit, then please do share this episode with them. And if you're looking for more support, check out my coaching, mentoring and educational offerings by looking at my website, which is linked in the show notes. Until next time.